Hello world, welcome to the Whatever's On My Mind podcast. I'm Malcolm, and we have a very, very good show for you today. Uh, first off, we're going to talk about uh, Brian Flores' lawsuit against the NFL for um, discriminatory hiring practices. Uh, we're going to go in depth into the lawsuit. We're going to examine how we got to this point. And I'm going to talk about what's called the Rooney Rule, which is which plays a big factor in all of this. Uh, we're going to preview the Super Bowl, which is this Sunday. I'm uber excited. Uh, I'm going to talk about the teams and how they got to the Super Bowl. And I'm going to give my predictions for the winner, the score, and the MVP. Then we'll be discussing the NFL honors, uh, going through all the awards and uh, some notable moments. And then um, talk about the Hall of Fame class that was announced. Uh, we're going to talk about yesterday's big blockbuster NBA trade between uh, the Brooklyn Nets and the Philadelphia 76ers. We'll go over the trade itself and the winners and losers and my uh, biased 76er fan uh, reaction to this trade. We're going to do Billboard Beat, which is what I call the uh, segment now, where we look at the top 10 and other songs that are on the charts and sort of analyze the chart. And finally, we will be discussing uh, Kanye versus Kim, because if you have paid attention to at least Kanye's social media, you've seen that there's uh, quite a bit of drama going on. So we're going to talk about that. And I'm excited. So let's get to our first segment. So first thing we're going to talk about is the uh, ongoing lawsuit between Brian Flores and the National Football League. So to give sort of a summary of what's going on to those who may not know, Brian Flores was a was the head coach of the Miami Dolphins. He was hired in 2019. He coached them for three seasons um, up until uh, last season. And then um, on January 10th, uh, Brian Flores was fired by the Dolphins, and it came as a big shock to most to most NFL fans because the la- the last two seasons that Flores had coached in Miami, the Dolphins went ten and six and nine and eight, which are very good records, especially for that Dolphins team. If you look at it, now they missed the playoffs both years. Um, twenty twenty was very unfortunate as um, they lost the final game of the season, which would have put them in the playoffs um, had they won it, and they missed the playoffs with a 10-6 and record, which sucks even more if you look at the NFC and the fact that the then-Washington football team, which actually I will talk about later. I didn't talk about that in the intro, but I'll talk about them later. The then-Washington football team... um, made the playoffs with a 7-9 and nine record. So that was really disappointing. And then last season, 2020, well, this season technically, 2021, uh, the Dolphins started off 1-7, which was great for me and other Eagles fans because the Eagles have their first round pick in 2022. But um, it wasn't great for us, at least. What was great for them was they – Rattled off a seven-game win streak after being one and seven. That uh, ended up with them being eight and seven, 
and in the driver's seat to make the playoffs before um, getting beat heavily by the Tennessee Titans. And you could contribute the seven-game win streak to a soft schedule. They did beat a Ravens team that, though they've been banged up this season, they did have Lamar at that time. Uh, they beat a lot of ba- they beat a lot of banged up teams, a lot of injured teams. So honestly, I mean they're they weren't really as good as the record says. They did beat the Patriots last game of the season to finish their season nine and eight. But actually, they swept the Patriots because I, I forgot they did beat New England Week One as well. So I mean they had New England's number this year, so. There's that. But after the uh, Dolphins went over the Patriots, Brian Flores had been fired the next day. And that came as a big shock to me and the rest of the community of NFL fans. So now he's suing. Um, he is... According to the Miami Herald, hopefully I don't have to subscribe to read this article for you guys. Okay, okay, no. According to the Miami Herald, Brian Flores filed a class action lawsuit Tuesday, Tuesday of sometime last week. I can't remember the exact date. Tuesday against the Miami Dolphins and the NFL alleging racial discrimination in its hiring and firing process, including a quote-unquote sham interview with the New York Giants after the Dolphins fired him last month. The 58-page lawsuit, which was filed jointly by Wigder, LLP, and Elifdarakis and Panic, this sound, I'm, I'm guessing these are last names of uh, lawyers, in the United States District Court for the Southern District of New York, claims Flores, who was fired on January 10th after three seasons in Miami, was dismissed because of his reluctance to tank during quote unquote tank during the 2019 NFL season and his unwillingness to. Sorry, I got a pop up. Yeah. And his unwillingness to quote recruit a prominent quarterback in violation of league tampering rules. Flores is the plaintiff of the suit with the NFL and all 32 of its teams listed as defendants. Dang, what did the Eagles do? In reality, the lawsuit says, the writing had been on the wall since Mr. Flores' first season as head coach of the Dolphins when he refused his owner's directive to, quote, tank for the first pick in the draft. According to the lawsuit, Dolphins owner Stephen M. Ross offered Flores $100,000 for each loss during the 2019 season. The team's general manager, Chris Greer, told Mr. Flores that, quote, Steve was mad that Mr. Flores' success in winning games that year was compromising the team's draft position, the lawsuit says. In the statement, the Dolphins said they they vehemently deny any allegations of racial discrimination and are proud of the diversity and inclusion throughout our organization. The implication that we acted in a manner inconsistent with the integrity of the game is incorrect. In a league statement, the NFL said that the allegations are, quote, without merit and will defend, and quote, will defend against these claims. Sue also alleges 
Ross pressured Flores to recruit a prominent quarterback after the 2019 season. Flores refused to do so, according to the complaint, and Ross, the winter of the winter of 2020, invited Flores to a lunch on a yacht where, quote, Ross told Mr. Flores that the prominent quarterback was conveniently arriving at the marina. Flores refused the meeting and left immediately, according to the lawsuit, and afterward was treated with disdain and held out as someone who was non-compliant and difficult to work with. In fact, in fact, Mr. Flores was ultimately terminated and subsequently defamed throughout the media and the league as he was labeled by the Dolphins brass as someone who was difficult to work with. This is a reflective of an this is reflective of an all too familiar quote unquote angry black man stigma that is often casted upon black men who are strong in their morals and convictions while white men are coined as passionate. Okay, this is a really long article. Um actually no this part's important. Through Flores' tenure, Miami reportedly courted multiple high-profile quarterbacks, most notably Houston Texans quarterback Deshaun Watson. Last year, Flores was constantly peppered with questions about the Dolphins' not-so-subtle pursuit of Watson ahead of the trade deadline. After Flores was fired, the Giants scheduled to speak with him for their head coaching vacancy, despite already making the decision to hire former Buffalo Bills offensive coordinator Brian Dable, according to the lawsuit. The interview, the suit claims, was only conducted to fulfill the NFL's Rooney Rule, which requires teams to interview two external minority candidates for head coach vacancies. And this is actually the funniest part of this whole thing. The lawsuit posts screenshots of text messages Flores allegedly exchanged with Bill Belichick, in which the New England Patriots coach mistakenly congratulates Flores for getting the job in New York when he actually meant to congratulate Brian Dable. Flores, the suit says, has not yet had his interview with the Giants. Okay, there's a lot more left in this article. Um, and this whole ordeal is um, it's a it's a really crazy story. Um, looking at the lawsuit, I I. Just looking at the lawsuit on its face, Brian Flores has no grounds to claim uh, racial discrimination just by the looks of the lawsuit, at least towards the Dolphins. Now, the Giants, I mean, it's obvious that the Giants brought him in for an interview after hiring Dable. So that they can fulfill the quota of the Rooney Rule, um, and he also sued the Broncos. I think the Broncos might have gave him an interview, but then they decided to hire Nathaniel Hackett, a former Packers offensive coordinator. Which honestly, that's a much better fit for um, the Denver Broncos, and I think Dable's a better fit for the New York Giants too. Just looking at what the the Giants obviously need somebody that is a good offensive play caller and that can fix an offense. Like the Giants have the pieces to have a good offense. They just need an O line and a good coach to help them. And I think Dable could do that. But that's not what we're here to talk about. Uh so where I'm with Brian Flores is with the his allegations against Ross that 
he paid him money to lose games. I can fully believe that. Now, I'm not going to say that it's true or it's not true. I, I'm saying that I. it's really easy to believe that an owner would do that. Especially because that was, this was during the 2019 season. Now, the 2019 season was the quote-unquote take for tank for Tua year for for uh Miami and it looked like that that's what they were doing uh if i remember correctly like i remember them being horrible and then finishing off the season really well in uh 2019 i specifically remember them beating the eagles in a game that i was a pain watching but you know we're not going to talk about that uh But yeah, I remember the Dolphins in 2019 started off 0-7. And like the first four games especially were absolutely pitiful. The first game they lost 59 to 10 to Baltimore. Second game they lost 43 to nothing to the New England Patriots. Then they lost 31 to 6 to Dallas. And then 30 and they lost 30 to 10 to the Chargers before their bye week. They started 0-7. Their first win came against the Jets in a 26-18 victory. And then uh, right before the the game against Philadelphia, they were 2-9. And And it looked like that they were going to get the first overall pick in this quote-unquote take for two a year. Now, around the time that the uh, Dolphins... Within a few, within like a couple weeks, of the Dolphins being the worst team in the league, was also when Tua Tagovailoa, which is the aforementioned Tua, got injured in a game against Mississippi State. I want to say when he was playing at Alabama, and uh, that sort of that tanked his draft stock because it was a really bad injury. He had to miss the rest of the season. He was replaced by. Um, uh, some guy named Mac Jones. You may or may not know who that is. It's not like he made it to the NFL or anything like that. Uh, it's not like he made the Pro Bowl in his rookie year. Um, but that happened. And also something that happened was that the um, when Tua went down, first of all, the week before, the Bama had lost to LSU in a wild, Wild game, one of the best games in college football that I've ever watched. And with that, and with Tua's injury, the number one quarterback in the draft sort of switched to this guy um, named Joe Burrow at LSU, who is playing in the Super Bowl on Sunday. And he sort of became the number one guy. To his draft stock fell a little bit, uh, and but here's the thing though. Here's the thing. So they go to and the Dolphins go to a nine, and then they finish off the season three and two. They beat the Eagles. They lose a close game to the Jets. They lose pretty handily to the Giants, and then they win an overtime game against the Bengals. Now that game 
that them beating the Bengals is what ended up giving Cincinnati the first overall pick in the draft. Then draft and then them drafting Joe Burrow. Now they're playing in the Super Bowl. And then the last last game of the year uh, is very infamous. Uh, the, they beat they went to Foxborough and beat the Patriots in what was Tom Brady's final regular season game as a New England Patriot. Sort of ended the dynasty. So we can give Flores credit for that. That's why, I mean, I think that's why a lot of people liked Flores initially. Because he ended the dynasty, quote-unquote. But, so, I mean, I, I fully believe that Ross would have paid Flores to lose games to tank their draft stock to get a quarterback. Now, they did end up with Tua Tagovailoa because his draft stock fell. He was the third quarterback taken, taken sixth overall in the uh, 2020 NFL draft right after uh, Oregon quarterback Justin Herbert. And whether or not it's worked out, it really depends on who you ask. Because the Dolphins, the Dolphins have been winning the past couple of years. It's just not really because of Tua. And, I mean, it's, it's been reported that Flor- that the reason that Flores was fired is because Flores wanted, I, Flores wanted to stick with Tua. And uh, the Dolphins wanted to move on. They wanted to get a quarterback. As we just read, they wanted Deshaun Watson. And it was very apparent last season that they did want Deshaun Watson. Obviously, the problem with Deshaun Watson is that Deshaun Watson has 22 accusations of sexual assault against him. But that's a different topic or a different show whenever something happens uh, with him and that whenever we get another update. So, why is this a big deal? Obviously, anything that involves the NFL and race is a big deal. Um, again, I don't think that Brian Flores can really sue on racial discrimination. Like, they brought him in for, like, the Broncos and Giants might have brought him in for some sham interviews. I mean, they wasted his time, yeah. Definitely. But it's going to be hard to, I think it's going to be hard, it's definitely going to be hard to prove racial discrimination. Um... I I don't see him winning this lawsuit because like what do, what is he gonna get from the league in this lawsuit? He might be trying to like make this a big story, make it like make uh sort of bring attention to this. And but I don't think he's gonna get a lot out of this. I think he's gonna be spending a lot of money on lawyers, and that's really it. But when this whenever we have some updates, I'll. I'll talk about that but this brings me to the topic of the Rooney rule which is something that we discussed which is the rule that NFL teams when looking for um, a coach have to interview at least two minority candidates and it was established so some history for you the Rooney rule was established in 2003 and It's called the Rooney Rule 
um, because it was uh, it was brought forth by Dan Rooney, who's who used to own the Pittsburgh Steelers, and he was at the time that it was passed the former uh, chairman of the league's diversity committee. And what had happened was, uh, tw- actually, twenty years ago, in two thousand two, the uh, two black coaches at the time were fired. Uh, and it was Tony Dungy, who was fired from Tampa Bay, and Dennis Green, who was fired from uh, the Minnesota Vikings. Now, the firing of Dennis Green, if you look at the O2 Vikings, and even the O1, like O1 and O2 Vikings, that's like understandable, considering the fall off that they had from 98, 99, and 2000, where they reached two NFC championships and had an all-pro quarterback, all-pro uh, one of the greatest wide receivers of all time, all pro quarterback be uh, Dante Culpepper, one of the greatest wide receivers of all time, Randy Moss, and a solid team. They fell off. Like so, Dennis Green being fired in two, after the 01 season makes sense. Um, I mean Tony Dungy really doesn't because what well, at the time the Tampa Bay Buccaneers had to come off. Uh, their third straight year of making the playoffs, their third straight year of losing in the playoffs, and their second straight year of losing to Philadelphia in the playoffs. And I don't know, like we've seen this happen a couple times where a team will like fire their coach after like making the playoffs because they feel like another coach is going to uh, take them farther or can take them farther. In the playoffs. But. They were. That was really the reason. As to why. The Rooney Rule started. Um, now. I mean both those guys. Ended up being hired somewhere else that year. I Tony Dungy was hired in Indianapolis. And the rest is history. Dennis Green was hired in Arizona, and the Bears were, were who they thought they were. Uh, credit to you if you get that reference. Um, but look, there shouldn't have to be a Rooney Rule, okay? And I, I mean, it goes without saying there shouldn't have to be a Rooney Rule. You shouldn't be a, the NFL should not have to tell teams. Should not have to force teams to interview minority candidates who are of minority descent. And this rule really only hurts minority coaches, coaches of minority descent, black, Latino, Asian, all that. It only hurts them because the rule is specifically you have to interview two of them. That opens the door for sham interviews like Brian Flores is talking about. And like if you bring them in for an interview, you're only wasting their time. Especially if you know who your guy's gonna be. Then it's just a waste of time. If the guy that a team wants to hire is white, they're going to hire him. 
even if they interview a black coach or a Latino coach. If the guy that they want to hire is black, they're going to hire him. And a lot of people are pushing for, like, there needs to be more diversity with head coaches. Like, does there really? Like, if I'm an owner, now, maybe these owners think differently. Maybe they have to have a white guy as a coach. And that's their problem. Honestly, that's their problem. Um, but if I'm an owner, I don't give a damn if you're white, black, red, yellow, orange, polka dotted. I don't care. If you're the guy that I think is the best fit for my team and is going to lead my team to the most success, I'm going to hire you. I mean, that's just that's just how I am, and that's how it should be. And quite honestly, I, that's how, that, I mean, that's how it should be. There's no quite honestly about it. So because of that, the Rooney rule has got to go. You can't say that if there was no Rooney rule, then there would be no black head coaches. No, because that, that would just be a lie. There are plenty of capable coaches who are black, Latino, Asian, all of that. And frankly, we don't need a Rooney rule to realize that. And these guys don't need the Rooney rule to get jobs. So my proposal for the NFL is to get rid of the Rooney rule. It'll have a lot of backlash. Because it sounds like the NFL is being racist on its surface. But if you really look into it and really see what it is, it'll actually be a lot. It'll be very helpful for minority head coaching candidates because it because it won't waste their time. You're telling me the Indianapolis Colts hired Tony Dungy in 2002 because of the Rooney Rule? No. You're telling me that Brian Flores was hired by the Dolphins because of the Rooney Rule? No. You're telling me Mike Tomlin was hired by the Steelers because of the Rooney Rule? No. Now, Lovey Smith might have been hired this year by the Texans because of the Rooney Rule and because of the lawsuit that is currently going on. But honestly, the Texans probably would have hired Flores if he wasn't about to sue the league. Because, I mean, the Texans have Deshaun Watson. And maybe that's the good pairing that Houston needs to start to get back on track. I don't know. But anyway, we should get rid of the Rooney Rule. Um, yeah. And so I hope in the future that they do get rid of it. Now let's move on to our next segment. Okay, now we're going to preview Sunday Super Bowl. Um, <laughs> Super Bowl is probably my favorite day of the year. Um, other than NFL Draft Day. Because uh, just... It's just the spectacle and of the sport and being able to find out who's going to come out on top. I'm extra excited for this year's Super Bowl because in August, I picked the Rams to win it. And now the Rams are favored to win it. So, uh, but I think it's going to be a really good game. 
this Bengals team is uh, not a team you want to mess with. This is not a team you want to sleep on. They've shown it throughout the playoffs, going into Tennessee, beating the number one seed Titans, going to Kansas City, beating the Chiefs in overtime, even when the Chiefs got the ball first. The Bengals are not a team to mess with. Um, They got firepower. That offense is stacked with Burrow and then Joe Mixon, Jamar Chase, and T. Higgins, and Tyler Boyd, and and C.J. Uzoma. Now, the only thing bad about the offense of Cincinnati is that offensive line. Uh, If the the O-line doesn't show up, Joe Burrow is going to die. Period. Like, he's going to die. They're going to have to rush him to Cedars-Sinai Medical Center and uh, and perform some kind of emergency life-saving surgery on um, Joe Burrow if the O-line doesn't show up. Because that man will die. If you look at the uh, if you look at the Rams defense, the front seven of the Rams, that O line is be going is going to be going up against Aaron Donald, Von Miller, and Leonard Floyd, sprinting in the direction of their quarterback on every down. It is not going to be a good day for that O-line if they can't show up. And it's not going to be a good day for Joe Burrow if the O-line can't show up. And that's what this Super Bowl really comes down to, is the Bengals O-line showing up. What comes down to the Bengals O-line showing up and Matt Stafford not turning the football over. Uh, Obviously, this is a big game for Stafford. This is For Stafford, this is a legacy-defining game for him. Because he spent his first 12 seasons in Detroit. He took him to the playoffs three times, never won a playoff game. And, of course, folks are divided divided on what was really the problem, whether it was Detroit or Stafford. Now, critics of Stafford say that he had one of the best receivers of all time, that being Calvin Johnson, on his team for most of his career and couldn't win a playoff game with it. And that's a good point until you look and ask who else was he throwing to. Sure, he had a couple seasons of Nate Burleson, who is a great analyst on NFL Network and on CBS, but he wasn't like a solid number two receiver. He had Golden Tate, who was a solid number two receiver. And those were probably some of their best years. That being, what, 14, 15, 16? They made the playoffs twice. Um, he didn't have Eric Ebron. Eric Ebron, they drafted him eighth overall. And he didn't really get good till he got to Pittsburgh. Um, and... Yeah, I mean, like, you never really had a, another guy to throw to. I guess Brandon Pettigrew was all right for Stafford's first couple seasons in the league. But he was never really a solid two guy to throw to. So, that's, so that would be the critics of Stafford's point of view. The critics of Detroit's point of view is that it's Detroit. And... We've seen what happened to the careers of Barry Sanders and the career of Calvin Johnson. 
it being cut short so soon because of them not wanting to deal with that organization, them not getting anything out of being in that organization. And so now that Stafford is in LA, he's won three playoff games, including a road thriller playoff game in Tampa in Tampa against the Bucks and what ended up being Tom Brady's final game for now. Uh they erased the ten point deficit in the NFC championship game to beat the 49ers, a team that has had the Rams number ever since uh, 2018. And now they're hosting the Super Bowl. And for the Rams, they really loaded up this season. They were really going all in. Bringing in uh, OBJ from the Cleveland Browns after he was released, after all that drama. Turns out Baker was the problem. Um, trading Ravon Miller from the Broncos after him spending ten and a half seasons with the Broncos. He was dealt to the Rams to further solidify that pass rush. Uh, and they had guys that they had already brought in previously, guys like Jalen Ramsey, um, then when the playoffs came around, their secondary got a little banged up. They signed Eric Weddle back to the Rams. Um, they were able to get Cam Akers back. Uh, obviously, they got Stafford after the trade, in which they traded Jared Goff to Detroit. Um, and then you also had Cooper Cup, who had one of the best seasons ever. For a wide receiver. Granted it wasn't 17 games. But still it was really extraordinary. And he finished I think. Maybe 40 yards short of the NFL record. And maybe 10 yards. 10 catches short. Of the receptions record. He had a truly remarkable season. That's why he won offensive player of the year. Now for the Bengals. The Bengals came into the season. With very low expect. I want to say. Yeah very low expectations. Uh, we didn't know what Joe Burrow was going to be like after the injury that he suffered, where he tore, like, every muscle in his leg and his knee. Sorry. We didn't know what he was going to be like. Um, uh, there were questions uh, in the offseason about why they drafted a wide receiver, Jamar Chase, over getting an O-lineman because the O-line had issues. They still have issues. Um, there were questions in the preseason about Jamar Chase's ability to catch the football. Uh, there were questions about whether their free agent signing Trey Hendrickson um, was just a one-year wonder in New Orleans. And all those questions were answered um, pretty quickly, I'd say, for Cincy. But even when they made the playoffs, I don't think anybody saw them going this far. I know I didn't. When I made my predictions for the season, I had Cincy winning six games. Mostly because I thought Baltimore was going to dominate the division. But they whooped Baltimore's ass both times they played them. They whooped Pittsburgh's ass both times that they played them. They did get swept by Cleveland, but one of those games, their starters were being rested. Um, but... They had a remarkable season from Joe Burrow. Uh, 
Um, fantastic year from Jamar Chase. Uh, their sort of X factor this season was T. Higgins, who also had a fantastic season, especially down the stretch late in the year. Joe Mixon was healthy, running the ball, uh, was catching passes out of the backfield. The defense started to step up in big moments, especially as we got into the playoffs. And now they're in the Super Bowl. And it's an amazing story because the Bengals hadn't made the Super Bowl since 1989. Uh, That was Super Bowl 23, which is memorable for uh, Joe Montana leading the 49ers down the field. And then the uh, game-winning TD pass to John Taylor in the back of the end zone, giving the 49ers a 20-16 victory. And, but this is a this is a definitely a different team. This isn't Boomer Esiason's Bengals. This is Joe Burrow's Bengals. Uh, they're going to be an exciting team to watch. I really hope that this team can continue to play the way that they've played this season uh, for the next couple of seasons. Because this is going to be a very exciting team to watch in the AFC. And the future is so bright with these young quarterbacks, especially over the AFC, Mahomes, Burrow, uh, Justin Herbert, Lamar Jackson, Mac Jones. Like, this is going to be really exciting to watch. I'm very excited for what the Bengals can do. And then we look at the Rams. They loaded up. They... uh, even when it looked like the NFC West was out of their grasp, uh, the Cardinals choked enough for the Rams to win it. Literally, even when the Rams lost the final game of the season, the Cardinals lost their final game of the season to the Seahawks. And finally, the the Rams were able to pu- push through the playoffs. They blew out the Cardinals. They beat the Bucks, beat the Niners, and here we are. Super Bowl 56. Now, most of America is probably rooting for the Cincinnati Bengals. Because, I mean, they've never won the Super Bowl before. This year was the first time they had won in the playoffs since 1991. And Joe Burrow is just the coolest dude out there. Like, he's literally Joe Burrow. And he's the one of the most likable dudes in the league. And because of how bad the Cincinnati Bengals have been, they're an easy team to root for. And I wish I were rooting for the Bengals. But I did pick the Rams to win the Super Bowl in August. So I'm sticking with them. And the Rams are going to win. The Rams are going to win the Super Bowl. Uh, if I had to give a score prediction... Whether or not it's a good, whether or not it's either a very close game or a straight blowout depends on the Bengals O line showing up and Matt Stafford not turning the ball over, like I said before. If the Bengals O line can't show up, if it's like the Tennessee game where um, they they sack him nine times, which very well could happen, then it it won't be close. 
uh, the Rams' offense is a lot more talented than Tennessee's. And if Matt Stafford can continue to play mistake-free football, they won't be making the mistakes that put the Titans in the position to lose their game. So, but I'll I'll say it's going to be a close game, the Super Bowl. If I had to give a score prediction, I'd say like 31 to 27 Rams win. There's definitely going to be a lot of offense unless the Rams defense just absolutely clamps down on uh, uh, the Bengals. Because I don't really see the Bengals defense like holding the Rams a lot. I don't really think that they have the talent on defense. Like, dude, I'm pretty sure Eli Apple is covering Cooper Cup. Like, Cooper Cup probably is going to have at least a 150 if Eli Apple's covering him. But, uh, yeah, I'd say 31-27 Rams. Uh, if I had to pick an MVP, Cooper Cup, period. I think Cooper Cup should have won MVP this year. But, um... I mean, that's a quarterback's award. If you're Adrian Peterson running, you're, then you'll, you can win it too. But it's mostly a quarterback's award, which sucks. But so whatever. Cooper Cup will win the Super Bowl MVP. Rams will win the Super Bowl. And Stafford will finally shut up all the haters. I can't wait. And the halftime show will be great too. Hopefully. If the halftime show sucks, I will be so disappointed. That I'll be thinking about it as I watch the second half of the Super Bowl. Okay. Last night was the NFL Honors. Speaking of MVPs, uh, it was hosted by Keegan Michael Key, who is a very, very funny comedian. Uh, he, for the longest time, had a show with Jordan Peele on Comedy Central called Key and Peele, sort of like a sketch comedy show. So funny. Uh, I recommend it. And last night, instead of an opening monologue, like usual, um, he sang a song. And it was it was a funny song. He got some involvement from some of the players, uh, Rob Gronkowski. You got Roger Goodell to sing all the song. Which, newsflash, Roger Goodell can actually sing pretty well. I was shocked. I was like, I was like are we sure this is Roger Goodell singing? But yeah, this is Roger Goodell singing. Roger Goodell. Has a very nice voice. So that kind of threw me off. I was shocked. But um, obviously the NFL honors are for the awards. So uh, let's go down the list. MVP was Aaron Rodgers. Uh, he wins it back-to-back. Fourth MVP of his career. Very controversial uh, MVP winner. But who else was it going to be? Like, I know people are like, oh, Tom Brady. Um... And Brady made a case for it this season because, I mean, statistically, he had one of his best years. But if you look at the way Rodgers carried this team, the Packers and what they were without him in the uh, one and a half games that Rodgers didn't play, uh, you understand Rodgers was MVP. And they didn't go out the way that they wanted to, losing that game to the 49ers in the divisional round. But the MVP is a regular season award. Like, think about that. No MVP has won the Super Bowl since 1999, Kurt Warner. 
So there's that. Believe it or not, all the years that Tom Brady's won MVP, he has not won the Super Bowl in the same season that he won MVP. Notably 2009 and 2017, where he won MVP in 09 and then lost in the first round. Or had lost in the first round, won MVP. And then 17, uh, lost the Super Bowl after winning MVP. Offensive player of the year, Cooper Cup. Duh. <laughs> oh, <laughs> there was literally no debate. I honestly think Cooper Cup should have won MVP, as I said before. But it's a quarterback's award. Defensive player of the year, TJ Watt. It's about time. Uh, I honestly think he should have won it last year. And he thinks he should have won it last year. So all he did was go out and tie Michael Strahan's sack record of 22 and a half sacks. And he did it in 15 games because he missed two games this year. And that dude absolutely carried the Steelers defense. Like absolutely carried them this season. Um, Offensive rookie of the year, Jamar Chase. Uh, it was look middle of the season. It was looking like uh Mac Jones might have got it, but Jamar Chase just put two hundred forty some yards up on the Kansas City Chiefs uh, in Week Seventeen, and that sort of solidified it. But it was obvious all year. Defensive Rookie of the Year, Micah Parsons. There was talk that Micah Parsons might be Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, that's all you need to know. Micah Parsons is scary. Uh, I am scared (laughs) for Jalen Hurts (laughs) whenever we play Dallas because Micah Parsons can literally do it all. Uh, Coach of the year, Mike Rabel. I think he gets coach of the year for the sole fact that the Titans started, the Titans played the most players that any NFL team has ever. So I think that's why he gets it. And they were still able to be the number one seed in the AFC. Yes, they did lose in the first round of the playoffs. But again, regular season award. Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, Matt LaFleur. Matt LaFleur has won it before. He's probably a good candidate to win it again. Uh... Zach Taylor of the Cincinnati Bengals. Honestly, I'd probably give Zach Taylor of the Cincinnati Bengals this award because they made it to the Super Bowl. But again, regular season award. But even though they surpassed expectations this year, I'd give Zach Taylor this award. So this is the first one that I completely disagree with. Well, not completely, but somewhat disagree with. Walter Payne Man of the Year was Andrew Whitworth, uh, left tackle for the Los Angeles Rams. Great guy. Uh, I watched some of his speech uh, last night, and I absolutely loved the part where he talked about um, a player from the Detroit Lions. I can't remember his name, but he actually, the player from the Detroit Lions, used to go to the Boys and Girls Club in Ohio that Whitworth volunteered at. So they've actually known. They so they've actually like met when that uh, the Lions player was a kid. And when they played the Lions this season, when the Rams did, uh, the kid who's now a grown man who plays for the Lions uh, went to Whitworth and said, I made it with. And I thought that that was Whitworth telling that story. I thought that that was awesome. 
comeback player of the year was Joe Burrow. And I think the playoffs solidified that, even though it is a regular season award. Uh, honestly, it could have been a it could have been either Burrow or Dak Prescott. And I think that uh, a lot of people, you know, Cowboys fans, are upset that Prescott didn't get it. But because I mean, both their injuries were absolutely brutal, and both of them came back to have really good seasons. But I think Burrow takes it. And it's really close. Like, again, it could be either or. I wouldn't mind either or winning the award. But uh, my pick would be Burrow. And uh, they announced the Hall of Fame class as well. Uh, A lot of um, older sort of uh, legacy picks. No first ballot guys. Like no one who is um no one was in his um no one who was in his first year of eligibility got in the Hall of Fame. And it was kind of a surprise, especially uh there were sorry, there were a lot of names on this year's possible ballot that I think should have gotten and I think should be in. But I feel like the NFL is trying to prioritize getting guys who have been waiting for years into the hall, which is cool. I mean, that's cool. But, uh, yeah, this year's Hall of Fame class was uh, Tony Baselli, who played on the O-line of the Jacksonville Jaguars in the late 90s and early 2000s. Tony Baselli is the first Jacksonville Jaguar to be inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. So that's exciting for the Jaguars. Leroy Butler former defensive back for the Green Bay Packers, who uh, was the first person to do the Lambo leap. So that's really his legacy. Sam Mills, um, former linebacker for the New Orleans Saints and a Carolina Panthers, who um, passed away in 2000. I'm, I'm Googling this, so I make sure I'm saying this correctly. He passed away in 2005. From he had uh, intestinal cancer. Um, he's famous, at least for the Panthers, as being part of their expansion team. And um, when when the Panthers were in the playoffs in two thousand three. He uh, gave a speech um, before one of their playoff games when he uh, was talking about his cancer. And in that speech, he pledged to, quote, keep pounding. And that became, like, the moniker of the Carolina Panthers. So he's in uh, posthumously. Richard Seymour who played for the New England Patriots during the 2000s and for the Oakland Raiders uh, for a couple seasons in the 2010s. He's in Bryant Young, who is the all-time leading, um, all-time sack leader of the San Francisco 49ers. He is being inducted. 
Cliff Branch, uh, one of the fast receivers ever. He died in 2019. He's being posthumously uh, inducted in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Uh, he was a Raider back in the uh, 70s and 80s. Again, one of the fastest guys of all time. An official, um, Art, Art McNally, was uh, inducted in the Pro Football Hall of Fame will be inducted and probably my favorite induction this year is dick vermeil a former head coach who uh was an e- was the coach of the eagles when they went to their first super bowl in uh, 1981 and then he coached the rams uh in 1999 when they went on to win the super bowl and the fact that so the fact that dick vermeil is um, being enshrined is awesome to me. Uh, congratulations to those guys. There were a lot of guys on the ballot who I think should have gotten in this year. Guys like Tory Holt, uh, John Lynch, Rondé Barber. I feel like those guys should have gotten this year. Uh, but I think that they'll have their time next year. Um, and I think that's going to be like a good class. I know Patrick Willis was a former Niners linebacker, was uh, on the ba- was possibly going to be on the ballot. but So I was really expecting to see Patrick Willis this year. But we'll see in the next couple of years. There's a lot of guys who deserve to get in. So you can never, you never can really tell who's going to get in until they announce it. Um, let's move on to the next segment. Okay. Uh, this is the first time that I'm going to be talking about the NBA um, in this podcast. Uh, I'll definitely be talking about it more as uh, the Super Bowl ends and the NBA playoff race starts to heat up. But big, big blockbuster trade in the NBA. The Brooklyn Nets sent James Harden and Paul Millsap to the Philadelphia 76ers in exchange for Ben Simmons, Andre Drummond, Seth Curry, a 2022 first-round pick, and a 2027 first-round pick. Big trade. Um, I am a Philadelphia 76er fan, so I will um, save my bias this by bias until um, the end of the segment. But let's just look at it on its face. Uh, obviously the the Sixers traded Ben Simmons because he uh, wasn't gonna play for the Sixers anymore. Um, he at first it was like he was talking about like having mental health issues, which I believed because uh. After what happened in the playoffs last year, uh, he got a lot of heat for not taking that uh, wide open layup against the Hawks. Um, and at that point, which really led to the Hawks winning that game seven, um, he was getting a lot of heat from the sports media, uh, from Philadelphia sports fans, including myself. And so we really thought he was struggling. And then, he would come to practice 
and then not really try. Like, he'd have sweatpants on, the infamous picture of him with sweats on at practice with his phone in his pocket, and then him getting sent home from practice, and it's just not showing up anymore. He's been fined millions of dollars by the league and the team for not showing up. So, uh, I'm just glad that we got rid of Ben Simmons. At this point, he's he's nothing to the 76ers. He was nothing. So when I look at this trade, I feel like he, we only gave up, we gave up Seth Curry, we gave up Andre Drummond, we gave up two firsts, and we gave up a forty-some million dollar salary cap hit to get uh, a superstar. So let's look at the other side of the trade. We got James Harden, bro. <laughs> Like, period point blank. Like, we got James Harden. I was very skeptical that we were going to get a superstar or Ben Simmons because of what's been going on with Ben Simmons and sort of the fact that he can't shoot threes or from the free throw line. So I'm absolutely ecstatic that we got James Harden. Um, A lot of people are saying uh, the Sixers – really played themselves with this trade. And there is a way that they did, but it's not the one that's being talked about mostly. So that's what we're going to talk about. Most people are saying they gave up too much, which I don't agree with. Because, again, Simmons is nothing. Uh, And then Seth Curry. Seth Curry, great guy, really good player. Like him a lot. We'll miss him. But... I would rather give up Seth Curry than give up Matisse Thybul or Tyrese Maxey. Especially Tyrese Maxey. Um, and Andre Drummond, I mean, Andre Drummond's washed. He's, uh, he can rebound the basketball. I think we'll really miss his ability to rebound the basketball, Drummond. But, like, we couldn't give him up. Again, like, I would rather give him up than give up Thybul or Maxi or Tobias Harris, or have to give up any of those guys. Um, and then, uh, and then getting Harden and Paul Millsap. Like, Paul Millsap's washed for the most part, but I think we'll see how Paul Millsap sort of fits in, what his minutes look like. I think he'll, he'll be a good role player for us. I mean, obviously, he's not going to be a starter. Like, he'll be a good role player, I think. Uh, the real reason the Sixers played themselves in this trade is because um, Harden will be eligible to sign a contract at the end of this season that would pay him over $50 million a year on average. It's like a four-year, $223 million extension to the contract that he already has. And I think if the Sixers, like, messed up in any way, it's with this. Now, here's the thing. His contract, his current contract expires after next season. So, if we sort of, like, have him on the team with the expectation that he'll become a free agent in 2023, then that's not something we'll have to deal with. Because by that time, he'll be 34. He'll be 34 at the beginning of the 2023-24 season. 
So we can get him now at the end of his prime. Um and get a chip. We get a championship. That's really what we're trying to do here. We're really going all in with this. And I think that we just pulled a superstar from or at least on paper the best team in the East. And I think that doing that uh really gives the Sixers a chance to win a championship. So people or people people can say what they want to say. Um it's easy to say we gave up too much when to get James Harden when you haven't suffered the pain of having Ben Simmons make 40 million dollars from your team doing nothing. So um the Sixers won this trade within the spirit that they got rid of Ben Simmons, like we've been trying to do, and got a superstar out of it. And we'll see how it works out. You can't claim a winner yet, just on the basis of this trade. But Sixers, a Sixers fans, we're 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 claiming to be the victor of this trade just because we got rid of the cancer that was Ben Simmons and replaced him with a superstar, and we didn't have to get rid of Tobias Harris or Tyrese Maxey, or Matisse Thibault to do it. Oh, yeah, and we got James Harden, bro. Like, we got James Harden. Once he comes back from injury, um, whether or not he'll mesh with Joel Embiid, well, we'll see. I really hope he does. Because because I know him. he's a ball-dominant guard. Joel Embiid's a ball-dominant center. But... If we are able to mesh those two together and then open up opportunities for guys like Maxi or Tobias Harris to start going off, then I don't see any team in the East at least stopping us. So, yeah, that happened. Anyway, let's move on to uh, Billboard Beat. And, um, but before we end the segment, I am absolutely ecstatic about this trade. I think all of you know, by the way, I've been talking about it. I am absolutely ecstatic. I cannot wait till James Harden suits up for the Sixers. I cannot wait to see what he's going to be able to do. All right, let's move on to Billboard Beat. All right, now it's time for Billboard Beat. So for Billboard Beat, this is the part where you look at the top 10 of the Billboard Hot 100. Just seeing uh, what songs are popular right now. And then sort of going down the chart, uh, seeing what songs are trending up. Um, interesting trends on the chart. So let's take a look. Uh, number one, we have We Don't Talk About Bruno from the cast of Encanto. Uh, it's the second weekend, number one. We didn't do it last week, but I did say, uh, I did point out that the song had reached number one. And um, I said that the week prior that the song was trending towards number one so there's that number two you have easy on me by adele um when will we stop being sad number three he waves by glass animals again i think the question goes when will we stop being sad he was at his 55th week on the chart and it's a number three like this all came out in 2020 bro like when will he let go 
when will we let go? Number four, Stay by the Killer Ward and Justin Bieber. I feel like this song has been at number four all of 2022. Like, just has not gotten another spot. Number five, Super Gremlin by Kodak Black. The entire top five is the same as last week. So I guess I didn't really have to, didn't really have to uh, do Billboard beat last week. But uh, I know the part was fake, but I still ate it because I'm a gremlin. Uh, number six, a, a B C D F U A B C D E F U by Gale. Still trending upwards. I said how I felt about the song a couple times. I don't think I need to say it again. Number seven, Shivers by Ed Sheeran. Um, same, same thing. I've said what I've said about the song. The song's been up here for I don't know how long. Number eight, Surface Pressure by Jessica Darrow. Another song off uh, the Encanto soundtrack. Good song. Um, number nine, uh, Push and P. Gunner and Future, Future and Thugger. Fourth week in the top ten. After spending three weeks at number seven. Starting to trend downwards. Hopefully we can get that trended upwards. I think if we get some solid radio play, that'll start trending upwards again. Number 10, Need to Know by Doja Cat. Gets back in the top 10. Um, it's been out since summer, but really picked up uh, traction in uh, the fall of 2021. It still sort of has that traction. Um, if you look at the rest of the chart, um, obviously, a lot of uh, Encanto songs are trending upwards. We have songs that came out in the fall of 2021 that are starting to trend upwards again. Like, That's What I Want by Lil Nas X is currently at number 15, starting to trend upwards again. Um... I Hate You by SZA is trending upwards again. Knife Talk by Drake featuring 21 Savage and Project Pat is up to number 27 after being at number 32 last week. A Woman by Doja Cat, which came out in the summer of 2021, uh, has been on the chart for 27 weeks. Reached a new peak of 37 uh, this week. Um, Sacrifice by the Weekend is still falling on the chart, which is insane to me. It's insane that the song has not reached the top 10 yet. It's almost driving me crazy. But, I mean, I don't have this much invested in the Weekend's music. I just really like the song Sacrifice. Um, Enemy by Imagine Dragons and J.I.D. Uh, reaches a new peak of 43. That song, uh, it's reached the top 10 of the global charts. And uh, so it's definitely trending upwards here. Um, a debut this week at number 51 is Rumors by Gucci Mane featuring Lil Durk. I cannot stop listening to that song. It's so hard. It is so hard. Uh, Rumors, great song. Perfect song for Gucci and Durk. The Chainsmokers debuted at number 57 with their song High. Uh, I have to give that a listen. I haven't listened to that yet. Um, 
Johnny P's Caddy by Benny the Butcher and J. Cole. Uh, debuts at number 72. I haven't heard the song yet. I just heard about J. Cole's verse, and apparently he really went off on it. Uh, Me or Some by Nardo Wick, Lil Baby and Future. Reaches a new peak of 78. That came out in the fall of 2021, but I guess it's trending upwards again. They dropped the video for it a couple weeks ago. I, I love that song, Me or Some. Um... Uh, NLE Choppa debuts at 86 with Shada Flow 6. Ain't no way. Ain't no way. Ain't no way. Shada Flow 6, bro. Like, this man's been making Shada Flow since my sophomore year of high school. Like, make another song, bro. For real. Like, make another song, bro. Like, literally. Like, Shada Flow came out when I was a sophomore in high school. I'm a freshman in college now. Get some creativity, Annalie. All right. That was Billboard Beat. Let's move on to our final segment. All right. Final segment of the show. Um, it's going to be a quick segment. Uh, I just wanted to touch on the drama surrounding Kanye West and Kim Kardashian. I mean, obviously, they're going through a divorce right now. And uh, it's really messy. And, yeah. Um, they're already in... They're both in new, very highly publicized relationships. Uh, Kim dating Pete Davidson and uh, Kanye dating Julia Fox. Um, I mean, personally, I don't think it's a good idea to rush into a new relationship while you're going through a divorce anyway. But especially if you're A-list celebrities and you have kids, like that's 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 a interesting and this what's going on now is kanye has been posting a lot on his instagram um stuff about this what's going on and like obviously it's um Obviously, Kanye ain't really isn't with it a hundred percent. When is he ever? <laughs> but like, I see where he's coming from, and it, what mostly what I've seen is that Kanye wants to be with his children, and according to Kanye, um. Kim's not letting him see the kids, even though they have joint custody. Or split custody, whichever one they have. And, uh, there's sort of like, you know, who do you believe? Do you believe Kim? Do you believe Kanye? Some people believe Kanye. Other people believe Kim. And I'm not going to say, uh, that either of them is lying. But here's what I will say. I will say that um, Kanye, in order to go to his own child's birthday party, had to get the address from Travis Scott because Kim didn't give it to him. Like, I know you're going through a divorce and everything, but that's his child. And, um, you know, a, Kanye as a father wants to be there for his child, so... Why can't he go to the birthday party? It's not like you have a restraining order. 
Uh, but that did happen. So, you know, people will be quick to say Kanye's crazy. Kanye is kind of crazy. Kind of is actually understandable. That's an understatement. Kanye is crazy. But I think that there's so many layers to their divorce and their custody than um, what meets the eye. So, I won't talk about it anymore because that's their business. And even though they're A-list celebrities, that's their family. And all I can say is I hope the best for them. I really hope the best for the kids. Because I mean, they have four kids. Like, this has got to be hard on the kids. Especially especially because it's in the public eye. And Kanye, Kanye was, you know, talking about why North was on TikTok. And I fully agree why is an eight-year-old on TikTok. They have rules about that. Um, and, of course, everyone's going to give their two cents. But, I don't know. I just think I'm seeing more eye-to-eye with Kanye on all of this. But, again, that's their that's their family. That's their business. All right. Anyway, that's going to be the show for today. Um, next episode, uh, next Friday, we will talk about the Super Bowl. Uh, can't wait. And any other news story uh, that comes out that I feel inclined to talk about, we will talk about. So, I'll... Um, See you guys next week. I uh, hope you guys have a fantastic weekend and a very uh, wonderful week.